Our scripture reading for this morning is from Matthew 5, 33 through 48. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and says, reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Rachel. Good morning. I'm Patrick Drury. I'm the interim pastor here, and it's uh, it's a delight to be here with you. Um, I have to say, I did have one prayer request specifically on my heart for the last couple of days, and that was that we would just sing our hearts out to the Lord in worship this morning. Praise God, man! That was a delight. Um, that was great. I got a question in this week that uh, somebody wanted to know. Sam Schreiner, where is Sam? He just stepped out? He just stepped out? <laughs> Dude. <clears throat> well, you'll have to tell him. Oh, is he there? Hey, there he is, Sam. Is that... Hey, hey. All right. Kid in hand. All right, great. So Sam sent me this question. He said, there's a scenario, okay? <clears throat> I don't know Sam, but I'm told this is a question sounds like a Sam question. You're marooned on a solo space trip to the moon for two weeks. You have an ample supply of food, water, and a Bible in the spaceship. What other three things do you bring with you? <laughs> I thought long and hard about it. I, I'm a pretty simple guy. I think, I think I would be fine for two weeks with a little bit of sugar-free dark chocolate. Just, just a little bit. Oh, that's, that's magic. That's good stuff. And then I think I would need a, I think I would need a, a couple of mixtapes. To use an old, old term, right? I think cassette, they have cassette tape in the spaceship. <clears throat> if they had that, just a couple of mixtapes. Um, I've been listening to Keith Green a lot lately. You're familiar with Keith Green? And that's kind of old school. I watched Jesus Revolution the, the other day, um, which is great. 
And it just got me back in that mindset, just been thinking about that. So if I hit some Keith Green, maybe some Christian Rock to pass the time, you know, keep from going insane. I'd be good. So, great question. Oh, man. Well, let's take a step into Matthew chapter 5. And we're looking at this theme of remarkably different. And how Jesus is calling us and teaching us to be uh, remarkably different from the world around us. I'm loving reading the Sermon on the Mount. Are you still, are you still working at it? I want to encourage you to keep working at it. Read the Sermon on the Mount once or twice a week from now until Easter. And just keep letting it wash through your soul. And see what God would do. Um, I'm loving it. It's, it's got a simplicity to it that's very powerful. It's, it's challenging to me. I, I can never read through that without having to just stop and pray and be personally challenged by it. I hope it's, I hope it's life-changing for you as well. As we look at this, Jesus has... Um, He's not just giving us like this way to live, like here's my expectation for you. It's actually as we, as we come to faith in Christ and trust him, God places us in Christ. He gives us the righteousness of Christ. We change from the inside out. He takes away our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. He places his spirit in us. He changes our, our attitudes, our mindsets. And he described those in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the, the Beatitudes, the attitudes we have in Christ, and now he's calling us to live those out, live out those attitudes in specific areas of life. He's talked to us about, like, don't, you've heard it said, don't murder. Well, don't murder someone in your heart either. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. Well, don't commit adultery in your heart either. Be pure of heart. Pursue righteousness and and embrace meekness and all those things he talked about. So today we're going to see, we're going to look at the three paragraphs that Rachel just read and see how Christ makes us remarkably different in three very challenging ways. Um, let me pray before we begin. Father, uh, thank you for the words of Jesus and preserving them for us. I'm, I'm so glad. Lord, I just want to say, we can't, we can't measure up to this. We can hardly understand it without the help of your Spirit. So we just appeal to you, God. Help us to understand Jesus' words. Help us to figure out how to apply this in our life and shine your light, Lord, into your scripture, into into our life, and light a path for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. This first paragraph, it's pretty straightforward, reminds us that remarkably different people are people who always tell the truth. Uh, as we raised our kids, um, we, we would just say to them very simply, we're truth tellers. That's just who we are. We're truth tellers. We just always tell the truth. Sometimes as adults, uh, we forget, especially as we look around in our culture today, isn't it kind of becoming even, it seems like even more the norm for people to talk big 
whether it's backed up with action or not. Uh, a lot of vibrato, uh, what's the word, vibrato out there? Bravado. That was dyslexic. A lot of bravado out there. I can talk big, but I don't really have to back that up or live it out. And Jesus is calling us to be truth tellers. Listen to this paragraph in Matthew 5, starting in verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made before the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair uh, white or black, I can attest to that as being true. <laughs> Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You know, in the, uh, in the Old Testament and in Jesus' day, people would often add like, yep, I'll do that for you. I swear by, right, they, they would add extra things to kind of bolster what they're saying and bolster the believability of it. Right, if I, um, if I tell you I'll do it, Jesus is saying, just, just do it. Just be a reliable person. Um, we all grew up hearing about the boy who cried wolf. Do you remember that one? A boy in town, he's, he's, uh, at least as I remember it, he's out of town and he, he's, he starts screaming, wolf, wolf, and the townspeople come running out to, to help rescue him from the wolf. But there's no wolf, he just laughs. Look what I did. I got everyone to react to me. And then the next day he goes out and he cries wolf again and everyone runs out and he, he laughs. You know, look at the power I have. I got everyone to react. The third day, of course, he goes out and, and a wolf comes. And he cries wolf and what does everyone do? Yeah, right. There's no wolf, I'm not going to be, right? I don't believe him. And then the wolf eats the child. And that was a good teaching for us as kids. We should always tell the truth or a wolf will eat you. And no one will help, right? That was the message I got anyway. It was kind of scary, but you know, we, should be, we should be truth tellers. Are you known as someone who follows through? Someone who takes your word seriously. I had to really do some thinking. Am I someone? Do, do I follow through or do I say, sure, I'll, I'll take care of that and then not do the work to make sure that I'm backing up what I had to say? I thought too about this as kind of a, a trend of, of people pranking people. Have you seen this? It seems like there's videos of, of people like pranking someone or misleading someone just, to, just to, to make fun of them or get a laugh out of it. Um, it's not new, but the ability to record it and post it everywhere is new. And I thought about this, uh, this Proverbs that we used to quote back when we did college ministry. Proverbs 26, 18 says... Like a madman shooting firebands or deadly arrows, this is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. It's fine to have fun, but there's something about our word that should be reliable. 
There's something about giving our word or speaking in a way that's transparent and honest that that's means something, should carry weight. Numbers 23 tells us, God is not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and then not fulfill? The reason I can trust God is because he has never lied to me. Because he doesn't tell us he'll do something and then not follow through. God is completely reliable all the time. And Jesus is simply asking us to grow to become more like him. To be people who tell the truth. Well, the second thing Jesus raises here. Um, is that remarkably different people overflow with grace. That's the way I'm choosing to summarize this paragraph. We overflow with grace when we follow Jesus. Now I want to tell you this, this paragraph I'm about to read, it's, it's pretty radical. Um, it, it's, it has a potential to really change our life. It's, uh, it's countercultural in many ways. It, it is literally, this passage is the first scripture I remember just reading on my own as a kid. It's, it made an impact on me, and I'll tell you why. But I want to read this paragraph to you. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Really, Jesus? We live in a world that kind of screams the opposite. Resist evil people. We all love to see when, when a, a person who's been bullied finally hits back. And the bully gets what they deserve. There's something gratifying about that, I have to admit. We love to see the scammer get scammed. We love to see someone steal from the thief, right? People kind of get what they deserve and get put in their place. There's something that kind of feels right about that sometimes. Resist evil people. And Jesus says, do not resist an evil person. If you think about that for a while, I mean, that's, that's interesting. It makes me wonder, like, do we, where do we fall on that? Um, most, a lot of, a lot of Christians are, talk a lot about our Second Amendment rights. Does that come into play? I wonder. Or a lot of people 
uh, talk about boundaries. The boundaries books were huge in the last couple decades, right? And I think in some ways people have used that to resist evil people. Jesus is just saying, do not resist an evil person. Wow, this is difficult for us to wrestle with sometimes. We do have this desire in us to see evil vanquished, to see bullies stopped, and there's actually a lot of good in those desires. We should want to see justice and righteousness in this world. We should want to see the weak protected and the strong person who abuses that strength stopped. I mean, even in the Bible, we see it. Uh, I picked on Samson last week, remember? Samson told his parents, I've seen a woman, now go get her for me. (laughs) Well, I'm going to pick on Samson again here. He's a great example of what not to do. And he says, uh, he said to somebody who had wronged him, since you, in Judges 15, since you've acted like this, I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. There's plenty of that thinking in the world. I thought about uh, whether it's two tribes in a third world country where one person does a small thing. You know, one person throws a rock at a dog and then someone in the other village um, steals a chicken and then someone else in the other village burns a field and they, they just escalate this thing. This revenge keeps going back and forth until there's a war. Hatfields and McCoys. Jesus is calling us to be different than the world. If, if I seek revenge on someone, then I'm putting myself in the place of God. For God said in Leviticus 19... Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And again in Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. But frankly, I don't know about you, sometimes I get a little tired of waiting for God. When somebody is wronging me or someone, I I struggle with that. Where are you, Lord? There's a whole thing called imprecatory psalms that deal with this. Like, where are you, Lord? I'm kind of tired of waiting for you. I'd rather take this matter into my own hands. The reason that we can't is because anytime I would try to put someone in their place or get vengeance on them, that might, that's a mix of maybe some good desire for justice, but it's also mixed with my own sinful desires as well. <clears throat> this comes up in the movies all the time. Someone's about to, about to give the final blow on the enemy who deserves it, but they pause first to deliver a snarky little line, right? I think about the old Clint, <clears throat> Clint Eastwood. 
about to set someone straight, pauses to say, do you feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? Right? There's always a line. There's always a line. And it's like, it's kind of interesting to see in a movie what it is is a window into my heart that anytime I would want to put someone in their place, there's always something in there, too, that's part of my own sinfulness that gets gratification from putting someone else in their place. And that's not what God calls us to. He says, vengeance is mine because God is holy. When he addresses sin, he does it with holiness and un, un, uh, with, with righteousness that's not tainted by sin. I want you to look at, at the, the examples that Jesus gives. He says, do not resist an evil person. But even as he says it, he gives the examples of it. Someone who uh, physically assaults you, strikes you on the cheek. Someone who wants to sue you. Physical assault, litigation. Um, Someone who conscripts you and causes you to work for them, right? Um, A Roman soldier could require you to carry his pack for a mile. Just a citizen, a civilian. Um, or someone who asks you for something, or someone who wants to borrow you. There's all these different scenarios in there, and I think it's really helpful for us because it helps understand what it means not to resist an evil person. Nowhere in here does he talk about if, if you see someone abusing another person. This is not a call to pacifism. If I see someone hurting a child, I'm going to intervene. In the name of Jesus, and you won't like it. <laughs> We're called to do that. We're called to protect the weak among us. If you see someone speaking rudely to an elderly woman in the grocery store, put yourself in between them. Protect that person. I've had more times I've wanted to of stepping in between people, but I hope I continue to do it. It's the right thing to do. We stand up for people. We stand up for the weak. These are specific examples in which someone is approaching me to to take something from me. Um, Also, in here, I don't think, and I wrestled with this a lot, uh, and I just wanted to say it. It's not in the text. I don't think this pertains to any type of sexual assault. Uh, If someone is harming Someone that way, Jesus isn't saying give them more. If someone is harming someone that way, they should say no, and they should get help. Just based on all that I know from all of Scripture, and, and what this passage is actually teaching. So I mentioned to you that this passage stood out to me. It was the earliest passage I remember reading on my own. I was 10, in fifth grade. And I remember sitting on my bed reading this passage and really going, wow, Jesus, really? Because in fifth grade, almost every day, at least a couple times a week, coming home from school, I would get beat up by this kid named Mike. <laughs> now, getting into fights wasn't unusual. Um, in my previous years, uh, me and the other kid would come home with bloody noses and fat lips. That was pretty normal. But that year... The Lord was working in my life, and I thought, what would happen if I didn't hit him back? So I made a choice. 
I made a choice to take Jesus at his word. And I hit him back. And you want to know what happened? What happened is I continued to get beat up every week for the rest of fifth grade. It didn't change the evil in the world. But what also happened is I began to become more like Jesus. It was a huge spiritual growth point for me. And even just telling you that makes me feel sick because it, it, it makes it hard for me to think about you applying this. I don't, I, I don't want you to apply this passage because I don't want you to get hurt by anyone. But I think we can take Jesus at his word here and listen to what he says. When one of the misunderstandings, a great misunderstanding about this passage, is that it's a call to passivity. It's a call to fawn, right? If someone is coming at you to dominate you or harm you, just roll over. Let them. That's not what Jesus says at all. In fact, he doesn't say if someone strikes you on the cheek, let them. <laughs> that, that would be to say, I'm going to give up my own agency. I'm going to give up self-control and let someone else control me. The Bible tells us never to do that. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. We maintain our agency in the way we respond here. Jesus says, if someone strikes you on the cheek, you have the opportunity to make a choice. You still have control and power over yourself. You can choose to do what he said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, or you can choose to show that person grace. You still have power. You still have choice. You can choose in that situation to show grace. Or if someone sues you, you can choose what you do. Fight for everything you can get, or you can choose to approach that situation with kindness and with grace. Or if someone conscripts a service from you, you know, a coworker, hey, you got you to help me out here. You, can, you still get to choose, but you can choose to show grace. Does that make sense? Each one of these scenarios that he describes, none of these are taking something away from you. They're actually empowering. Because we can choose to be like Jesus in each of these situations as we choose to not resist an evil person. Also, not resisting an evil person doesn't mean we can't address a situation. If I had gone back to my fifth grade self, I probably would have given him different advice than I gave myself at that time. <laughs> hey, talk to a teacher. Let's, let's ask for some help here. Stop. You, can, you can do this like Jesus and then maybe also get help. That's not prevented in this passage. And that's what I wish I would have done. But, you know, you look back and learn from what you got. And so I don't think it means you're stuck in a perpetual cycle of, of harm either. It's just to say when... When an evil person comes into my sphere, it actually creates an opportunity for me to behave like Jesus behaves because my heart is in line with the heart of Jesus. And that's hard because it's a tough situation to be in. But I think that's what Jesus is calling us to do. 
He's calling us to have the maturity of Christ in each specific situation. So I'm going to just let, let these words land on you. And I'm going to encourage you to pray about it. I don't want to tell you how to apply it. I just want to tell you how I've tried to apply it and what I've learned. But I think they're serious words, and I think they'll make us very different than the people around us. Now, in this last paragraph, he talks about one more thing, but it, it feels related to what we just talked about. And it's how when we're in Christ, we're remarkably different people, and it comes out even as we, we interact with enemies, we have the opportunity to love our enemies. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun, the sun, his son, to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. So he says, if, you, if we just choose to love our, our, our friends and love the people that we want to love, we are exactly like the rest of the world around us. What does it mean to be remarkably different? Because we're in Christ. It means that we love everybody. The sun shines on everyone, the rainfall. God gives a certain measure of grace to every person and calls us to do the same. A few years ago, I, have you ever seen the uh, 40 days of prayer for the persecuted church prayer guide thing? Um, it's, or, or 40 days of prayer for the Muslim world is what it's called. And so you have, like, kind of during the month of Ramadan, you're, you're praying for different people groups, and each page just highlights, like, pray for the people in Azerbaijan. Here's what the people are like, and we pray for them that they would meet Jesus. It's really cool. It's pretty simple. We gave that out, and, and I, I was surprised at people coming to me privately saying, you're killing me, man. I'm like, well, what's going on? It's pretty simple. We're supposed to hate these people. And you're telling us we're supposed to love them and pray for them? I was surprised. My response was, no, I'm not telling you that. <laughs> Jesus is. <laughs> Take it up with him if, if that's a struggle for you. Um, this background of this, back in Leviticus 19, says, do not hate your brother in your heart, Rebuke your neighbor frankly so that you will not share in his guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This is about showing the love of Christ to people who are enemies, who are treating you like enemies. Proverbs 25, verse 21. These are on the screen. Yeah, if your enemy is hungry... Give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you he will heap burning coals on his head, and 
and the Lord will reward you. If you really want to get back at your enemies, go a little bit over the top in showing love to them. Burning coals. And I thought, what, what are the burning coals? And I wondered if maybe one, one way that my love toward an enemy might heap burning coals on them might be if I love you back and you still treat me like an enemy, you probably don't know Jesus and you're probably going to have the burning coals of hell upon you for all of eternity. And sometimes our response of love can kind of confirm where people are at. But I think there's another way too. Maybe, maybe if someone treats me like an enemy and I love him, maybe there'll be the burning coals of the conviction of the Spirit of God that would expose before the light of God, expose their sin and call them to repentance, call them to faith in Jesus, call them to new life. Isn't that what happened to us? Isn't that what happened to us? I think I put... Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love to us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. For if even when we were God's enemies, even when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled will we be saved? Praise the Lord that Jesus chose when I treated him like an enemy because I was born a sinner. I'm a sinner by birth and by choice. Before he saved me, I was his enemy, and he chose to reach out to me in love. Jesus is asking us to do the same. I can't save anyone, but I can show the love of Christ. And point him to Jesus. You know, the ultimate example of this is the cross where Jesus himself chose to uh, endure all these things. On his way to the cross, he was struck and turned the other cheek also. He was ridiculed and returned the, the reviling with blessing. He didn't ridicule back. He was, uh, he was mistreated and he showed people grace. Even as he was dying on the cross, and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus isn't asking us to do something he wasn't willing to do himself. He's asking us to follow him, to take up our cross and follow Jesus. Following Jesus changes us, changes us on the inside. And Jesus is wanting to make sure that's a complete change, that it would change us from the inside out. So I'm going to pray over this uh, passage as Ryan comes up to close us. Father, thank you for all of this. This is hard. This is really hard. It's, uh, you're asking us to trust you with ourselves with our stuff, with our, with our well-being. Lord, we live in such a hostile world, just like you did. So 
So thank you for coming and giving us an example of how to live. Father, I pray that you would give us courage to trust in you. Help us to help each other, to remember that we're in this together. We can help one another go through hard times. We can help each other live like Jesus, to know you, to experience you in our hearts and in each situation in our lives. Thank you for these words of Jesus. In his name I pray, amen.